0: Hello and welcome to resourceful stories from the site proudly brought to you by resources unearthed at resources unearthed we help executives professionals and business owners in mining and resources to be successful both personally and professionally we've created this podcast to help you in your employment or business and we'll be chatting to people who have a proven track record of success in the industry thanks for joining us Today we're joined by Peter Cribb and Josh Hunt who have worked together for over 25 years owning and operating their successful business, Resource Strategies. Resource Strategies provides services to the mining industry specialising in environmental consulting and management. They work with large mining corporations and government agencies and have established an excellent reputation in the coal mining industry throughout Australia. In this episode, Peter and Josh talk about their biggest learnings as business owners and discuss the importance of taking care of relationships both with employees and clients. Having a business with a relatively small client base, they share how integrity is critical in building genuine professional relationships and also discuss their approach to working with large mining companies and government agencies and how they have successfully navigated the changes to shareholders within Resource Strategies. Peter and Josh reflect on their early days entering into leadership roles and share the advice they would give to their former selves. They also share their tips for aspiring professionals entering into the business space, reiterating that you can never underestimate the benefits of hard work.
1: Hi, my name's Brett Cribb, Managing Director and Founder of Resources on Earth and welcome to resourceful stories from the site. Today we're speaking with two business owners who've owned and operated their business for over 12 years, but have been part of the business since its inception 25 years ago. Their business provides services to the mining and resources industry, particularly specialising in environmental consulting and management. It will soon become clear I've known one of the owners my whole life and the other for over 15 years. The owners are Peter Cribb and Josh Hunt of Resource Strategies strategies of a successful track record in large and complex projects throughout Australia and overseas and operate through the entire environmental life cycle of a project from exploration to approvals through operations and into mine closures, maintenance and relinquishment Pete and Josh run a highly successful business based here in Brisbane and are extremely well known in the coal mining industry in New South Wales and for that matter throughout Australia welcome Pete and Josh and thanks for joining us Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Brett. Nice to be here. No worries. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> to uh, kick us off today, could you each give us a bit of a brief overview of how you started in the industry and finishing with your current positions at Resource Strategies? Looks like Josh has got Pete on the hook here.
2: Yeah, so um, I started off in uh, university. I did an agricultural science degree, and my exposure to the industry came during the course of that degree, where um, some of the prac work was done out at an open-cut coal mine. I remember one of the um, senior lecturers there at the time, he was heavily involved in mining rehabilitation. So that's a guy by the name of Professor Clive Bell, who's still around these days. But he was my introduction to the industry, did the work on the open cut coal mine for one Christmas vacation living in a caravan at Blackwater which was a cultural experience. And from there, I just was impressed by the way things worked on a mine. It was very integrated, a lot of different disciplines. So I I really got a good taste for it there and wanted my career to go that way. So then after that, went from there straight into a um, consultancy called Woodward Clyde at the time. And that consultancy had a mining arm. And that consultancy was where we met, where I met the original owners of our current business, we worked for those two guys for oh, since 1992. I think I started there in 92, and then um, Resource Strategies was started in about 97. So I, I started there when those two original owners asked myself and Josh and another to come along and, and work. So I've been working in the mining industry basically f- from the start of my career. So and now we worked in Resource Strategies from the beginning, and then the current owners decided they wanted to sell. I became a director back in 2000, was it 2009?
1: Yeah. Yeah. About that time.
2: And I've been a
1: director since. So uh, Josh, what about you?
3: I studied in, in Melbourne. I went to Swinburne University of Technology and did civil engineering. And so I graduated in 94, I think it was. And back then in Victoria, it was at the back end of the sort of recession, particularly bad recession in Victoria. And there was no, there was very little work in engineering for civil engineers. Managed to land a job with a company uh, which is now ATC Williams, which is a big company in, in tailings design and construction, tailings dam design and construction in Australia. Anyway, landed a job with those guys and the only real work they had was in mining in Queensland and WA. So to keep a young guy busy like me, they gave me a lot of work in the geotech laboratory and a bit of work in the office and then an opportunity came to um, do some work in at Century Zinc Mine in Queensland. So jumped at that, great experience, really enjoyed it. It seemed so exciting. Um, minds, just the scale, the scale of everything and, and all these driven people trying to achieve something. That's where I met Peter. And then from there, I ended up doing a bit of construction work in Singapore, just straight sort of large-scale civil construction in the shipping dry dock side of things. Came back to Australia, moved to Brisbane, and Peter helped me land a job at Woodward Clyde. So that was in 96. And then I was only at Woodwell for perhaps about 18 months or so. And then the two heads of the company uh, left and formed Resource Strategies. And they and they took Peter and, and a couple of others with them. And then I, the, about three months later, they asked me to go across. I was quite hesitant because I didn't know them as well as these guys because I um, hadn't been working there as long. But then about three months after that, they asked me again. And I I jumped at it, and then my story's been the same as Peter's ever since. So we took, we started talking about taking over in about 2006. So they laid the sort of case to Peter and and Richard and I. And then in 2009, they formalised. Interestingly, that <laughs> Century Inc. was where
2: Josh met his wife, too.
1: Yeah. Oh, very good. The same we way. he met Nat. Yeah. yeah. She was... So you met two wives. <laughs> it was very fateful. Yeah. Very fateful that would be. So, what have been your biggest learnings or challenges in business so far, Josh?
3: Big question. First of all, earlier in your career, you learn a lot of technical things and relating to clients and, and colleagues. And then over time, you learn that how valuable that can be to clients if you do it well and you communicate it well and you align yourself with what their needs are. And then over time, as you get more experience you tend to get more and more into either business development or internal people management. And I think that's something that technical people, like like Peter and I both come from a technical background, that takes you a long time to learn is good people management and also good communication skills to external parties as well. It is a
2: strong foundation. A technical background has become quite a valuable foundation for our business, like there is a need in our business, as probably we'll discover a bit later, to understand how the mining industry works and all the technicalities, which of, of which there's plenty. And certainly our clients value that technical understanding, that's for sure. It was a very good foundation, accidental foundation, as it turned out. And then, of course, as Josh says, that sort of understanding of how to run a business and how important people are came later. But certainly that technical foundation was really important, I thought.
3: And our business has a very well, I think relatively small number of clients, but we do a lot of work for that small pool of clients. So that means integrity is critical because these are the same, working for the same people for years and years on end. So if you fail to perform or or say something and do something differently, they won't forget and they won't come back. So we very infrequently pick up new clients. We've been fully occupied now for 20 years. So that's so important is to have a genuine professional relationship with the clients where they can depend on you and often that also evolves into genuine friendships but we don't bank on that like we think we can get it uh, as long as we're doing a a good professional job that's what's most important yeah yeah yeah
2: that's a a learning that was sort of instilled on us with the previous owners maybe not directly as such but certainly the value of repeat business to our business is amazing, you know, it's free marketing effectively. But as Josh says, you're only as good as your last job you did. So if you're tracking your performance continuously and continually and making sure you're keeping reputation in front of mind, then that repeat business comes without too much effort, which is gold for a small business. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, you probably, probably, partly, mostly answered this, but the next bit of a question I had was. You often, and in your business particularly, you often work with large mining companies and government agencies, which can be challenging as a business owner. How have you dealt with that? Is there anything more than you were talking before about doing quality work and making sure the last job is a good job all the time and measuring systems? But is there anything else that you'd add to that in terms of working with large companies and government agencies that make it challenging and how have you dealt with those challenges?
2: You've got to remember what you can and can't control and so managing expectations has been very important. So if, by that I mean if we're dealing with a, a mining company and we're sort of acting as the, not so much the go-between, but certainly an important part of the communication cycle with a government regulator and they're saying this is not going to happen as quickly as you can, we, we do as much as move heaven and earth to get things across the line in terms of approvals for mining projects, but sometimes that can't happen. So effective communication between those two entities, the government organisations and the mining companies, is really, really important and making sure that people have a very clear understanding of what we can and can't control is very important for our business. So that's a, an important sort of challenge that we face on just about every job we do.
3: Yeah, Continual communication is critical because... If a government agency moves at a pace that's slow, which we all know bureaucracies can for their own reasons, we don't want the client judging us to see that as a non-performance of us. We want them to see that we've done everything we can to move it forward as quickly as possible and there's nothing more that could be done so that they don't judge us on the bureaucrat's non-performance. We're quite conscious of that. In terms of dealing with big organisations though, because we do do some commissions for government as well, what we've learned is being a small company, and they're a huge organisation relative to us, it could be a mining company or or the government, they're never going to change their systems or even bend their systems for us, whether it be health and safety or their financial systems. or or, or how they want to be uh, the structure of contracts we just have to go in there and we have to be nimble and we have to build our systems to meet their requirements or match their systems so that we're not a problem our invoices go in in exactly the format they require we follow to the t all of their health and safety requirements so we're never on their radar as a problem provider supplier that's helped us to stay in position with, with that client to get ongoing work and in a relationship level with big companies a big mining company what we've learned too is we could be doing a great job but if we've only got one key contact in that company and that key contact moves on for their own reasons or gets moved on for restructuring purposes or whatever we could lose all of that effort all of that fantastic performance because that person's gone and we're starting scratch so we're very conscious of building multiple relations with the one company so Peter and I might have a good relationship with someone senior who gives us the original entry into into the work, but we quickly try and build up relationships between our other staff and that person's other staff on the client side. The way we see it is like we've got more than one point of entry in case the, the inevitable occurs, yeah.
2: That's absolutely right. And that's worked very well from an internal perspective as well, because that means that it- some of our, not not junior, but some of our less senior people become involved in talking directly with clients. And that, when you're young, you know, that motivates you. You want to think you're an important part of the team. So if you're talking to the client, then that's a reflection of that. So that works very well and serves the purpose Josh was talking about before as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it helps to train your people as they're coming through, which is good.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so another question, if you could each go back to the day that you became directors of resource strategies, what advice might you give yourself?
2: (laughs) It's a big question as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, big questions all around,
2: Pete. Uh Yeah, Josh can take that one.
3: I think I would tell myself to calm down a little bit. Like, I suppose saw it as a huge challenge and responsibility, and it was very stressful. And I was always like, Peter, you know, trying to control every, every little thing. And, and sometimes in reflection, things that you can't control, or things that it didn't matter if they were fully controlled. Like, and I, I would try and have been better at prioritizing what, what were the big things that you can control, and probably um, be more empathetic to my staff so I'm sure I got more like that as I got later in in my career but early early on I was just your typical sort of driven middle manager that's all of a sudden being promoted and I cared more about delivering for the client than necessarily the people that were working for you that were essential to what you were doing that's probably young ego but also just anxiety driven Mm. performance anxiety yeah
2: yeah it was a big thing at the time when when that directorship was offered to us we had been talked about for a long time it finally culminated in and was formalized and and you just i remember thinking well we've got to do this right you know you don't get too many chances so you you put a lot of effort into it yeah i remember just being stressed a lot (laughs) about it but effectively as you grow into those roles and you become a lot more comfortable with it you do change the way and you look back at the things you could have done differently, and certainly one of those I would have done would, would have just been just enjoy the moment. You know, there's, there's some certain situations that we got put in where I remember being very stressed about, it. and just now I look back and think, "Geez, that was fun!" You know, that was actually quite fun. You exciting. know, you do not have to stress so much about it. It was exciting. Yeah, yeah. You got to get up at four a.m. for the flight, but it's going to be a great day. You're going to learn a lot. You know, those type of things. If I just slowed down and realised for what it was, it might have been a bit more enjoyable and might have learned it even more, you
3: know. I think we had much more support network around us than what we realised and than what we utilised. So the previous owners that I'm sure we'll get to, but Peter and Chris, they were ready and willing to help us as much as we wanted because they didn't want to just disappear. They wanted to maintain some interest in business and being mentally challenged and engaged. We probably were too quick just to say okay we're taking over now see you later guys we did involve one more chris you know more and more yeah. down the track mm-hmm. and we probably could have leaned on each other more too like the three of us so that in 2009 there was three directors so yeah. we on reflection could have just worked more closely together at sharing load because we all had different spikes in stress and pressure yeah. depending on our timing of our deliverables mm-hmm and we often just sort of it individually yeah
2: yeah mm. we could have integrated that a lot better yeah
1: yeah so are there any key values or practices that you as directors like to focus on within resource strategies to support your business and project delivery you talked a little bit about some of that before around making sure things happen and measuring things is there any Things that you do focus on when you're managing that support and business and project delivery.
2: I mean, it's you know sound obvious, but you know you can never underestimate good quality planning. Mm. The hour spent planning is going to save you a lot of time. And our commodity that we deal in is time. So you know if we want a very smoothly running business, and we're all effective communication and so on, quality planning goes a long way to achieving that. So that's for all aspects of the business, whether it's you know client relationship sort of business development management to internal resourcing for project delivery to, you know, financial performance of the, of the business, you know, paying tax on time and all the rest of it. So that's not to be underestimated. I don't think good quality planning.
1: Yep. Yeah, Josh, anything from your side
3: that you think? Well, just that real focus on um, quality of performance. So caring as much or a bit more about the quality of the product than the client even does because it represents your brand name every time you put it out there. That's absolutely core to what we do and, and we have really good internal practices that we inherited from the previous, or learnt working under the previous owners and then have continued to apply. But practices that build around making sure that the product aligns with the expectation for the for the deliverable, mm. like in terms of scope, but also the quality of the product is, is up to, up to scratch and that's essential. It was funny, it was only in the last couple of years that we actually sat down as a team and put together a values statement so although you'd like to think in a in a small company with a good strong culture you all understand it but we hadn't sort of really sat down and written it down which is a mistake probably but we, you know, we survived <laughs> So we did that with a, Peter and I and, and a few of senior people, and then when we eventually socialised that with everyone in the office. And remember, it's a team of almost forty people that are all smart and inquisitive and argumentative and challenge—you know—like to challenge upwards. And we expected that to go out there and have trigger a whole lot of debate about the relevance or the accuracy of the values, and we basically got um, surprisingly a high level of, of agreement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: people just nodding and which, saying which, that's Which was that great, yeah. yeah.
3: We were ready to change it if people came forward. Yeah, yeah. With the, yeah, 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 or add to it or whatever or subtract, yeah. Mm. Yeah.
2: yeah. I think that's a, another thing that, that has come up is the, you know, our clients – come back to us because we're quite proactive with the way we deal with things so it's looking at what can be done next and that that serves the purpose to for our business because you know you you always want to know that there's more work coming in the door but if clients are hearing from us that this is where we think the next step to go is and that just makes their job easier and that's something that we've tried to instill in all levels of our organization and would like to see that continue you know that's again it sounds a bit obvious but works well.
3: And because we're not a a large company, like we don't consider ourselves compared to competitors in the business, nearly all of our main competitors would be at least triple our size. We can be nimble. And so like what Peter just said with suggesting and through the planning element that he also mentioned, but suggesting to a client, well, okay, we've done this, but you could be pre preparing these next three steps. Because we've been in a fortunate position to be always very busy, we can be suggesting to them this, this is what you need to do this is what you you can do yourselves and we're happy just to help you scope it and you do it if you haven't got the budget for it or if you think that's over servicing we're happy just to suggest what you include give you examples of where we've done it before but we're okay if it's not a commission for us but what it does do is stops them getting surprised when they think well why didn't you tell us to do this earlier or we're still getting a competitor to do it we've always kept a pretty good sense of humor too in in the office it's <laughs> i mean it's
2: sometimes it's a lot of fun in and it has been a lot of fun along the way. I, yeah. There's been a lot of laughing that goes on and as well as, you know, a yeah, bit crying, of swearing. A lot of crying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll but come you, back to the laughing later on. I've yeah, got a, got a yeah. final question for you on yeah, right.
1: that, which you'll probably see. Just coming into this area as well, you know, it can be difficult co-owning and operating a business. So for our listeners out there that might be struggling with a partner in business, not that I'm suggesting you've ever struggled with a partner in business, but... Are there any areas where you guys disagree on when it comes to running resource strategies and how do you compromise? How did you decide the best way forward? Is there any sort of things that have ever come up there where you recognise that you might disagree with something and you go, okay, well, how did I resolve this? What's the way forward?
2: I reckon Josh and I have been quite fortunate to be pretty aligned on just about everything. So we, we share common values. So that Definitely helps, but also for our business, Josh and I worked together for a long time, over a decade before we actually became business partners. Yeah. That's not to be underestimated either. That just means you know each other's strengths and weaknesses and so on. I don't think we've ever had a stand-up shouting match with each other. That's never been. There's been odd disagreements and so on, but
3: yeah. same. Same with um, Richard, who I'm going to get to. Yeah. Yeah. We I can't ever remember having an unresolved debate with him in regards to the conduct of the business. The closest that really came to was um, sometimes when you were all really busy and you were competing for resources. Yeah, that's, that's because we, like right. I said earlier, we we're often resource constrained. Yeah, so it would mean like one project or another would have to sort of carry extra load until until another project finished. But we always just worked that out. You would work out which client was pushing for it the hardest or needed it for their business needs, and then it fell into place. It was, yeah, yeah,
2: those sort of discussions were always, uh, you know, park Josh at the door and park Peter at the door and Richard at the time as well, and think what's best for the company. And it it had to be company focused. Mm -hmm. So the best outcome was for the company, not just for the
3: individual. So that helped us through it, I think. When you did it that way, that Peter explained, Mm -hmm. it it became quite obvious, like often, And I imagine other companies have a lot of conflict or debate when it becomes maybe to uh, large financial decisions, like investing in, I don't know, software or or, or a bigger office or buying their office space or something like that. But the way the company was, really, we leased our tenancy, we didn't own anything other than the computers on the desks, really, or we don't even own the fit out. And we've only ever really invested in response to a need. So we're putting in some more workstations because... We've employed more people because we've got a, a bigger project that needed more people. So it's sort of always been quite obvious. I, I can't ever remember having debate over that no. even. Very, uh, very, much, yeah. very much. Maybe world, just yes. been lucky. i have grown yeah, slowly, probably. yeah.
1: Probably also communicating regularly. You know, the way you talk, you are all communicating pretty regularly. So that communication breeds familiarity with where your problems are and being able to help each other with it. Uh, yeah. Like you said to start with, in the early days you could have lent on each other a little bit more than you actually did and over time you work that out and you continue to do it, which is why you don't have problems in your business. Yeah.
2: A good level of respect between you know between us as well. Like When issues arise and there's potential for conflict, you can't fly off the handle. you got to think about where that other person's coming from and so on. So it's just the basics of conflict resolution, I guess. But it's definitely helped to know each other a lot and well before entering that directorship and ownership partnership
1: no your partner will so do you have any tips for managers or professionals in the industry and not just yours but where they are in professional or mining and resources space whatever it might be and those tips and how those tips could help or assist professionals who are aspiring to enter into the business world themselves anything you would sort of say you know cast your mind back to being an employee and then Becoming a business owner, talk about one thing about taking it a bit easier. What are any other tips? Tips would be
2: don't be afraid of it. Hard work with a goal in mind. If you've got a clear goal that you want to become a business owner, you need to be satisfied that that hard work is going to serve that goal. I remember working weekend upon weekend upon weekend with that view in mind. You know, that was what it was for. And it's turned out that way. You hear that a lot, don't you? That never underestimate the value of hard work. Well, absolutely, yeah.
3: I don't think we were in any way entrepreneurial. So I know talking to some people nowadays, they assume that we started the business because it's been a long time. But we weren't entrepreneurial. We just worked hard for two guys that had already formed a small successful business. And then we were there ready and waiting and skilled up by them when they wanted to make a transition out. So if I was a young person and I wanted to have my own business in mining services in some way, I don't think I would personally have the wherewithal just to form my own business and start from scratch, and, and very few people do, especially from a young position. My advice would be get in with a small or, or a medium-sized business where you can work very hard and become critical to the, what makes that business tick. And if it's a small to medium-sized business, there's a good chance that over the course of your career an opportunity will arise to have some, have some equity in it.
2: Yeah, and you've got to look for those opportunities too. So I remember when the equity question started to come up and get discussed with the previous owners. That, that was not something to be afraid of. That was something that I was working towards. And so I made it clear I wanted to hear more about it at the time. Mm. And that and that was to Josh as well as to the owners, you know. And so we, we ended up in the same organisation, as it turned out, working for the same thing. And that became a more powerful bargaining chip, if you like, for the current owners who were looking to get out. They were selling. So, you know, from their perspective, it was an easy... It was an easy equation because they had three people who were willing to do the work, who were willing to buy, who were willing to do what it, do what it took. And so what Josh just, just mentioned, you know, the why look elsewhere when it's right in front of you?
3: Yeah. And if you can work hard enough and long enough that you're a critical component to the, the function of that business, even if the existing owners decide not to sell it to the staff, if their ultimate plan is to sell it to an external party or an external company... Any external party that does a reasonable level of due diligence will quickly work out that you're a critical part of the function of that company and so even that presents opportunity because they might want to secure you or lock you you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's not to say uh, a career in big companies is not fulfilling as well. It's just not the path that I've been down.
1: I know you both started with resource strategies on day one and have gone through a few changes in the business ownership, including when you purchased the business from the original owners to when Richard, as you mentioned, sold his shareholding and now you, as you transition to a next generation of shareholders within Resource Strategies, to me each event seems to have run fairly seamlessly. It's been successful for everyone involved. Could you elaborate on how you manage some of those changes to get the best outcomes for everyone and some of the challenges you faced and how you resolve them?
2: Yeah, I think for each of those occasions where there's been equity piece that's become relevant it's not something that happens overnight. Those type of transactions take a long time to plan. Ours was four or five years in the making. Richard's wasn't so much. Richard made his choice to sell his equity and, and that was dealt with relatively cleanly because we had a good quality shareholder agreement in place and that became the recipe to follow, you know. So there's a learning in that, making sure you've got a company constitution and shareholders agreement is <laughs> a, a bit yes, of a They plus. can be somewhat important, yeah. You hear a lot about multiple partnerships that don't work out so well you know we were three let alone two you know so you hear a lot of failures don't you and yet we transitioned through that pretty smoothly relatively speaking i think we're doing something similar now where we've got a good bunch of young people that again have signaled interest in equity and we've sold some equity to some of the other people involved in the business much the same way we were offered originally so this thing's don't happen overnight, though. They've got to be well-planned. It's got to have a lot of sort of infrastructure, if you
1: like, behind
2: you so it works well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Planning and preparation. Good advisors,
2: too, like external advisors, company accountant, legals. Again, we've been through a, a few. Yep. And they've settled on some really good ones. And
3: well, we probably should name them and give them a plug. Talbot Sayer Lawyers, a, a fantastic okay. medium-sized legal firm in Brisbane, particularly for commercial matters. Panel and Yanch, accountants. Ian Judson. All three of them, from Judson Kamo to Panel and Yanch to say i were instrumental and great advisors through this and so sort of pragmatic and accessible. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I, I found hugely distracting in the succession when Peter and Richard and I took over from the original owners was the fact that they, they were a bit old school. So they would talk about it and plan it with us for years, but not documented. They really didn't want to spend money on external advisors, so they wanted to just agree it all and then we'll work out the documents later. So nothing was documented until the day that it occurred and it was a 100% transfer of ownership and the three of us became directors and then we had a debt back to them. And I found that really distracting for those years when we we're talking about it, we're also trying to focus on our, our main job and our cli- delivery for our clients, relying on trust, that they were going to do what they said they were going to do. Neither of them had done it before, so they weren't very good at necessarily articulating it with great clarity. So they would talk about it like we would talk about it, so conceptually, but there's really complex law behind it and, and particularly tax law. Yeah. And as a consequence of them being quite casual about it, it created a lot of stress for us because of uncertainty was it really going to happen which was a distraction from your day job and also they did get some surprises with with tax implications that meant at the last minute the deal had to change
2: which flowed down to us
3: we were absolutely determined Peter and I when it came to this latest equity scheme which is this sale of some equity to secure our senior staff to help provide for the you know the future performance of the business but we were absolutely critical by the time we raised it with them we were able to table documentation so basically we did not have ongoing discussions with them we brought them into our office one by one the candidates explained it to them conceptually and told them they'd have documentation within a week and, and that's what we did and, and then we made our advisors available for, for them for briefings and for q and a's we didn't want to answer their questions because the questions quickly become technical and- technical and beyond our financial capabilities yeah. understanding and also you, you don't want to be seen to be giving tax advice which you can easily stray into before you know it yeah. if they start asking questions like should we do it under a family trust or not or whatever yeah. so i learned that if you're going to have a serious conversation about this, you've got to be ready to provide a level of detail and certainty to people, a, p- a pathway.
2: Yeah. Which has, I mean, there's been questions that have come, but they've been easily answerable by our advisors. But I think a lot less questions have come because of that preparation that's that right. went into it. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, I, I see it consistently. If you've got the right advisors and we've built up those advisors over a long period of time, you got the right advisors, they can help you along the way to make sure things don't pop up. It's like you said, planning and preparation. You can plan this stuff and prepare for it just as easily. You've just got to have the right people helping you. And, you know, as you found along the way, there are some people who might be able to do this stuff. They can technically do it, but they're not very good at explaining it and helping you get to the bottom because maybe their service mentality isn't quite as good as well, you know. So... Certainly what we find in dealing in businesses with other professionals is they've also got to have a lot of follow through. They may well be able to answer the technical questions, but if they don't follow it through and help you with it and actually understand what your problem actually is, as you said, communicate, then... You're wasting your time. So, yep. yeah, it's really important to have those right professionals.
3: We wasted quite a bit of time and money trying to go to some of the big companies. I shouldn't name them, but like some of the big, well-known national accounting firms. But really what they wanted to do was sell you a package off the shelf yeah. of an employee share scheme.
1: And have you make your mind up yourself. Yeah,
3: and then off you go and basically be ready to explain it to your staff. Where We didn't have to feel comfortable with that at all. So we, we wanted advisors where we were... More important to their business, so they were
1: smaller companies, and we were a significant client for them, and, and they could dedicate the resource to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I certainly recall some of the conversations, and the, the person that was brought in at the end really completed it for yeah. you. you know, so yeah. I think that was good. So another question for you both: you know, you've both been working in the environmental sort of area for in mining and resources for a long time, and you're at some of the forefront of what's going on. So is there any new tech or concepts or trends within the industry that you've been interested in lately? And what kind of changes do you see happening in the future? There's
2: one trend that you might have heard of. There's this thing called climate change, apparently. From a resources perspective, that without a doubt will have an impact on the resources industry as we go forward. That seems to be shaping government policy and technology for that matter as we go forward. And so, you know, our business is quite diverse when it comes to the resources sector. So we deal with met coal, thermal coal, gold, mineral sands, iron ore. You know, we're commodity diverse and open-cut and underground mining as well. So we're quite well-placed for that trend, if that's what you want to call it, into the future, I think. And we're also exposing ourselves to the energy side of things as well, so making a conscious shift across to that so we can hopefully participate in some of the renewables sort of sector activity from an environmental approvals perspective.
3: That's a big one. The big one is just acceptability of... Thermal coal. What's government's view going to be on that going forward? To what degree are they going to support or stymie the development of that part of the of the industry? And at the moment, I think they're still making their mind up. <laughs> they seem to be deciding it on a project by project basis, rather than on a whole of state or whole of country level, and then creating policy or law and then working backwards from that. Instead we get inconsistent decisions on a project level in different states yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah so my final question for both of you this is one i ask everyone what's your funniest or most memorable story from the site josh i'll start with you can't remember we can flick over to pete yeah probably flick over to pete <laughs> okay, well, here we go pete pete always gets the good ones yeah. so here we go pete you, well, you can I was... start this ball rolling
2: Brett, i was got to say, I was very disappointed when you gave me the information and briefing about today because it said you can't swear. Yeah. And that's cut <laughs> that's like 90% of my stories sorry, out, is which it? is a real shame. <laughs> but there was one particular story, and Josh, you were there, mate, at the time. We were literally on the site at this project that had just started up, and it was early days of RS, and we were down there with the new environmental manager at the time. His name started with Dave. Yeah,
1: I, mean,
3: I know the story now. Yeah. And then I would drive...
2: We, we, the three of us were in this Hilux ute and we were driving around just having a side tour. <laughs> I think it had been raining. Yeah, it had been raining. And we were literally in a clear paddock except for one tree. And the, the vehicle track we were driving on it, sure, it went past the tree, but it didn't go into the tree, which is where we ended up. We ended up hitting the tree. <laughs> we were driving at like 40 k's an hour and we <laughs> ended up literally hitting the tree and dave was driving and he, he apologized and josh and i just oh my god i, I don't know about you mate i was dying oh, inside yeah. i was laughing my head yeah. off inside it was <laughs> this guy was new and we were trying to you know have a good relationship with him and he uh, must have fallen asleep or
3: something because it, <laughs> it was this paddock this paddock was kilometers <laughs> across oh, it was <laughs> yeah, there was nothing in it flat, as, across it. Savannah. flat as a tag with one sad old tree in the middle, <laughs> he <gone from. laughs> must, must have fallen asleep. But well, we're all talking in the cab,
1: but it was a long day. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you can remember, well, Josh?
3: I don't have a great story for you at all, but the most memorable parts of this job have been, yes, some of the um, interesting parts of the world you get to go and visit and places that you'd never otherwise see. So I remember doing some work in Queensland at um, Kennington, so the lead miner, and they were looking at all sorts of plans. But part of that included walking along in in the dry season, some of those really complex and extensive riverbed systems and exploring those and just walking along in those those environments thinking how amazing it was and how, if it wasn't for this job, you just wouldn't get exposure to that sort of part of the world. So when I look back, the things that I reflect on the most seem to be just remembering some of the places you visited and being yeah. out in the bush. The industry is good
2: for that. It gives you a window into Australia that I'd say 90% of Australians don't have a clue, you know. No, no. It's, it's a really good industry for getting to know Australia and those regions that you end up at, the mining industry prevails within, so it's a great opportunity, yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's plenty of characters out there. You've only got to listen to Laura's oh, yeah. podcast talking about uh, sniffing out toilets, and we'll soon see that'll be for our listeners to go back and listen to. So... Pete and Josh, thanks for joining us today and for giving our listeners some insight into the world of the business owner. It's been great to have you here. So thanks very much. All right. It's a pleasure, Brett. No problems. So for those listening, if you'd like some more information on Resource Strategies, you can find their website at resourcestrategies.com.au, surprisingly. Thanks for listening. And if you have a spare minute, we'd love you to leave us a review via your favorite platform and subscribe so you don't miss an episode thank you
0: thanks for listening to this episode of resourceful stories from the site we'll be back in a month with more tips and insight from our other industry leaders we'd love to connect with you You can find us on all the usual social channels and our website, resourcesunearthed.com.au. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode.